Good evening and welcome to the show. Well, it was not much of a coincidence that two hapless leaders who are more skilled at the politics of gesturing than the politics of getting things done, joined symbolic marches over bridges yesterday. Anthony Albanese joined gays, lesbians and assorted other alphabet people, including his own foreign minister, Penny Wong, on a march over the Sydney Harbour Bridge celebrating sexual diversity yesterday. The second time he's marched with this crowd since the World Pride Festival took over central Sydney two weeks ago. And his American counterpart, Joe Biden, took a break from mumbling into microphones and shouting at clouds to join a march across the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama, to commemorate Bloody Sunday, when people marching for black civil rights were killed in 1965. Biden, of course, used it to stoke even more racial divisions. He said, quote, the right to vote, to have your vote counted, is the threshold of democracy. This fundamental right remains under assault. We have to remain vigilant. In America, hate and extremism will not prevail, though they are raising their ugly heads again. Well, they sure are. Here is an example of racism posted today from a black neighborhood in California. As a white dude, I'm encouraging you to go to where predominantly white people belong. This is not the spot for white people. This California is really not for white people. So take your motorcycle and fit the gear and go there. Go to a big rush of white people area. And here is the president himself being cringingly racist just last week. By the way, you know, I'm not, I, I, I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not entirely convinced there, Joe. Anyway, do politicians who join marches understand how pathetic they look? Either they are protesting, in which case they are saying they are ineffective as politicians, or they're commemorating something that is no longer relevant. The battles for civil rights for both ethnic minorities and gay people were won decades ago. In fact, there is an abundance of evidence that they've gone too far. In Sydney, World Pride has been a green light for supposedly liberated adults to parade sexual fetishes on the street in front of children. And in the United States, the noble civil rights movement has morphed into the violent, corrupt, self-proclaimed Marxist Black Lives Matter organization, which burns down cities and kills people. So why are Albo and Biden wasting their time on these marches? Don't they have better things to do? Albo certainly does. While on the bridge walk yesterday, he said, quote, no matter who you are, who you love or where you live, you should be valued, equal and celebrated. Unless you're an Aboriginal child in Alice Springs who has been infected with a sexually tra transmitted disease from her violent alcoholic father, in which case, you're on your own, kid. Albo is yet to explain how his Indigenous voice to Parliament, one of the headline policies of his first term as Prime Minister, will solve the scourge of pedophilia, rape and violence in Indigenous communities. And when he does, his feebleness will finally be too obvious, even for his most die-hard supporters. 
especially those whom he calls his friends on the front bench. There's a good chance the revolving door to the Prime Minister's office is about to start spinning like a dervish again. But that's a topic for another day. Albo and Biden's problem is that they have been in politics for so long that they have forgotten how ordinary people talk and even what they talk about. Rather than walking across bridges yesterday, they could have more productively spent their time watching a masterclass in political persuasion. Donald Trump's speech at the Conservative Political Action Conference in Washington, D.C. His announcement in November last year that he was running again for president in 2024 was strangely subdued. But yesterday was a return to the sort of performance that strikes chords with the electorate and strikes fear in his opponents. Most important battle in our lives is taking place right now as we speak. For seven years, you and I have been engaged in an epic struggle to rescue our country from the people who hate it and want to absolutely destroy it. The sinister forces trying to kill America have done everything they can to stop me, to silence you, and to turn this nation into a socialist dumping ground for criminals, junkies, Marxists, thugs, radicals, and dangerous refugees that no other country wants. No other country wants them. If those opposing us succeed, our once beautiful USA will be a failed country that no one will even recognize a lawless, open borders, crime-ridden, filthy communist nightmare. That's what it's going and that's where it's going. This is what hardworking, ordinary people worry about, not gay rights or Black Lives Matter. They also worry about the endemic sense of self-preservation that pervades politics these days, which is dominated by people to whom power is an end in itself. Like you and I, Trump hates that too, and didn't even spare his own party in declaring he's coming after them. We will throw off the political class that hates our country. They actually hate our country. No walls, no borders, bad elections, no voter ID. We will beat the Democrats. We will rout the fake news media. We will expose and appropriately deal with the rhinos. We will evict Joe Biden from the White House. And we will liberate America from these villains and scoundrels once and for all. When we started this journey, a journey like there has never been before, there's never been anything like this. We had a Republican Party that was ruled by freaks, neocons, globalists, open border zealots, and fools. But we are never going back to the party of Paul Ryan, Karl Rove, and Jeb Bush. Freaks and fools. Tell us what you really think, Donald. Anyway, he spoke for almost two hours, lavishing praise on his allies, demonizing his detractors, and reminding ordinary Americans that it is them, not him, that the elites want to control. He reminded us that he has that rarest of skills, boasting about impressive successes in ways that ordinary people understand and even find funny. I was the only president in decades that didn't have a war, 
But I completed wars that were already started, including defeating 100% of the ISIS caliphate. 100%. I was also the only president where Russia didn't take over a country during my term. Russia took over, not because I got along with Vladimir Putin very well. I said, Vladimir, don't do it. You know, you and I are friends. Don't take over any countries because, you know, Moscow will be hit very hard. I told him things. He probably didn't believe it, but you know what? He believed it 10%. And President Xi believed it when I talked about Beijing. He probably said, I don't believe him, but there's a 10% chance we're not going to do anything. It's true. It's true. You have no idea. These conversations. I wish they could have been recorded, actually. People would think a lot of me. But with Bush, they invaded Georgia, right? With Obama, they took Crimea. With Biden, they're trying to take everything. And he won't even know they took it. Good. Before the speech, Trump had a massive 30-point lead over his nearest rival, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, 55 to 25, for the Republican nomination. But Trump has a vulnerability that DeSantis has been cleverly positioning himself to exploit. When COVID hit, Trump responded quickly by shutting down borders, which was correct. He also explicitly blamed China for creating and spreading the virus which to the leftist mainstream media was further proof that he is racist. Turns out he was right about that too. But his mistake was to throw $14 billion at Operation Warp Speed, the project to develop an mRNA vaccine against the virus. As we now know, the virus was not a threat to any reasonably healthy person under 70, and the vaccines that were quickly developed, not only failed to prevent the spread or reduce severity, they caused adverse reactions that include the sudden death of hundreds, if not thousands, of otherwise healthy people. Almost every politician in the world responded to the virus in the way that China probably knew they would, by panicking, locking down their citizens, racking up trillions of dollars of debt, and mandating jabs in order for people to regain the freedoms that were once their birthright. The Telegraph in London has been over the past four days releasing private WhatsApp messages from former British Health Secretary Matt Hancock that expose the tyrannical methods many politicians in formerly liberal democracies resorted to during the so-called pandemic. In one of the most sensational revelations so far, it reported that in December 2020, Matt Hancock wanted to deploy a new COVID variant to frighten the pants off the public and ensure they complied with the lockdown. Hancock, you might recall, was busted in June 2021 for having what the Sun newspaper called a steamy clinch with a millionaire lobbyist in his London office. Both he and the lobbyist were married, but not to each other. London was in lockdown at the time. Hancock apologised, hoping he could survive, but was eventually forced to resign. As I said on Friday, anybody who doesn't suspect that 
steamy clinches notwithstanding, similarly reprehensible political decisions were made in the Australian National Cabinet at your expense is naive. Ron DeSantis, Trump's only rival at the moment for the Republican nom nomination, is not. In December, he announced, quote, in Florida, it is against the law to mislead, to misrepresent, particularly when you're talking about the efficacy of a drug. Today, I'm announcing a petition with the Supreme Court of Florida to impanel a statewide grand jury to investigate any and all wrongdoing in Florida with respect to COVID-19 vaccines. DeSantis hasn't even thrown his hat in the nomination ring yet, but when he does, he will be able to go after Trump for his role in the whole COVID charade, which is now, most people realise, one of the greatest and most destructive scams in world history. Whether DeSantis prevails as a result will depend on how much people suffer from COVID fatigue and just want to put the whole unfortunate experience behind them. There are signs even here in Australia that this might be true. But don't be deceived. What we are experiencing now, at least among the majority who emerged from the debacle relatively unscathed, is a widespread feeling of relief that the lockdowns and anxiety over vaccines are finally over. But the casualty rate is increasingly difficult to ignore. By now, we all know at least one person whose death we suspect was caused by the vaccines. Evidence is now emerging that the vaccines not only lower your immunity to cancer, but allow it to spread so aggressively and quickly that surgery is futile and treatments are almost helpless. I lost a friend last week in exactly those circumstances. She leaves a, lo a loving husband and two heartbroken sons in their early 20s. It's impossible to simply shrug off the suspicions about this. The yearning for justice, or at least an adequate explanation for wrongdoing, is innate to human nature, even if for now, in Australia, it's lying low. The contest between Trump and DeSantis will bring into sharp focus this exact phenomenon over the rest of this year. And when it does, the politicians and petty, power-hungry bureaucrats who did this to us in Australia will, if there is any justice at all, be forced to account for their destructive decisions. That's all from me tonight. Thanks for watching. If you want to follow me on Twitter, go to at Fred Paul, that's F-R-E-D-P-A-W-L-E, or follow ADH on at A-D-H-T-V-A-U-S, where you will get regular reminders of our shows. The ADH lineup is rapidly expanding. Last month, the internationally connected Alexandra Marshall joined us as did one of the bravest commentators in Australia, Lyle Shelton of the Family First Party. And last week, the brilliant and often sardonic pop culture commentator Daisy Cousins 
made her ADH debut with an insightful look at the life and times of the world's most famous and most cringy transgender person, Dylan Mulvaney. You can see all these people as well as the great man himself, Alan Jones, on demand on the various podcast platforms, YouTube, our website, ADH TV, or most conveniently of all, our app. Thanks again for watching tonight. Have a great night. I'll see you tomorrow at seven. Good night.